Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to the October 23rd, 2023 regularly scheduled meeting of the Town of Vales Planning and Environmental Commission. Please note that all members are present at this time except for Commissioner Jensen. The first item on our agenda today um, is approval of the minutes from our prior PEC meeting on 10-9-23. I move that we approve the uh, minutes from 10-9-23. We have a motion by Commissioner Lipnick. Do we have a second? Second. S second by Commissioner Phillips. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Is there anybody opposed? Nobody is opposed. Please note that Commissioner Jensen is present and that motion carries seven to zero. Um, next item on our agenda today is an information update. Good afternoon, commissioners. Nice to see you all. Thanks for being with me today. I'm, I'm gonna be talking to you in more detail about the exterior energy offset program that we're proposing for the town of Vail. So just a little background, the exterior energy offset program is really needed here to start slowing the growth of outdoor energy use and the, and the pollution that goes along with that. Um, I, I looked up this quote, I heard it recently, it's, it's by Will Rogers, if you find yourself in a hole, the first step is to stop digging. So that's really what this is about, to you know, stop digging that hole that we're trying to overcome to meet the town's climate action goals. Just a reminder that the Town of Vale adopted the goals of the 2020 update to the Eagle County Climate Action Plan, and that plan did call for emergency-grade action on climate change. Uh, this program, it's just one of the few policy tools that, that we have that can enable us to start to reduce carbon pollution community-wide. And we are working here at the Town of Vale to reduce our own municipal emissions from our snowmelt and also from our buildings through energy efficiency projects, uh, renewable energy. We just completed a survey of all of our major facilities to uh, determine the feasibility for installing more solar. And this is a, a pretty hefty uh, solar system out at Public Works that was commissioned last year. So we are trying to walk the walk as much as possible. Um, so over the past year, uh, myself and starting with uh, C.J. Jarecki when he was the building official uh, prior to, to Daniel Brown joining us, we worked with the Eagle County Code cohort on a number of uh, efficiency um, code amendments and this uh, exterior energy offset program. Now, Vail's been a leader, actually. We've been ahead of the curve in adopting the most recent uh, building codes, including the 2021 IECC. So that, that code does a great job for our buildings, but it doesn't really address uh, outdoor energy use. Um, so through this, this process, at no cost to the town, the code cohort contracted with Resource Engineering Group out of Crescent Butte. Now, these folks have been developing these calculators for Picking County, Aspen, uh, and now Avon, um, Eagle County, Edwards, right? All of our peer communities out there are, are using a similar calculator. And the calculator, it's a spreadsheet tool. It's downloadable and available to the public when they're planning their projects. 
And what it determines is for any given project with exterior outdoor energy use, how much solar PV would be needed to offset a certain percentage. I'll talk about those percentages in a second. Or, or a comparable fee in lieu that's based on that cost of PV. So there's no additional cost if you don't go to PV from what you would pay. You just don't reap the benefits of having a PV system. So the, the fee in lieu, what ends up happening with that is it gets put into a, a special fund, a clean energy fund, and it's used for community projects that have an efficiency or renewable energy um, emphasis. So, you know, we want that money to, to actually go ahead and, and work for us in offsetting emissions somewhere else. So the exterior energy offset program, you can think about it in two categories, uh, residential versus commercial. Um, in the commercial calculations and the assumptions that are backing this, this calculator, commercial uses are assumed to have a higher uh, uh, energy use than residential. So thinking back to my energy audit days um, here in Vail, uh, big homes, big residential homes with snowmelt, they, they do try pretty hard to minimize the use with sensors, timers, shutoffs, things like that. In commercial settings, it's, it, the, ener the, the snow melts, for example, it, they have to run longer necessarily, right, to keep, keep safety and, and keep the snow melted. Um, pool, commercial pool energy use is also considered to be higher, and residential and uh, commercial spas are considered to have more or less the same energy use in this calculator. And I will say that these assumptions, right, they've been vetted by folks who have been studying this issue for many years um, in places like Crested Butte and Aspen and similar mountain communities. Um, it, the original calculators that were developed years ago were based on manufacturers' um, uh, determinations of how much energy these systems use, but really in our climate, uh, they tend to use more, and this updated calculator reflects that. So for the big outdoor energy uses, uh, spas, pools, and snowmelt, the current program is recommending a 50% offset. So we're gonna tally up the energies and then look at what it would take to offset 50% of that. Um, the reason it's 50% is you know, it's just a, it's a good first step, right? We want to we uh, we want to do something about this exterior energy issue, and you know we see this as a as a good entry point. Um, fireplaces and fire pits are offset at 100%. And I will say, folks who approach me uh, from the town of Vale, community members, are often focused on fire pits and sort of the you know questioning the necessity. And this is just anecdotal. I've had people question the necessity of those. They, they are an amenity. And through the co cohort process, it's suggested that we offset those 100%. I'd when say, you, I, some, I'm sorry. Just when this yes. comes up in the calculator, and yeah. I know you're doing your presentation, yep. not seeing that calculator, uh, the spreadsheet calculator, specifically to say fire pits, grills, outdoor cooking. Um, can't necessarily do it on a square footage. Is that based on a BTU? It's, it's based on BTUs. Okay. Yeah. So if we can find an example, and I'm happy to look one up and, and bring this back to you guys next time, 
Uh, so it'd be, it would be BTUs, and you'd have to get that from the manufacturer, and that gets entered into the calculator as well. There's a special category for that. Um, what, is, what is the logic behind yep. offsetting at 50% for snowmelt pools and spas and then going to 100% for fireplace and fire, fire pits? Is, there, is that arbitrary? Is there like a, a logic behind that? What's the reasoning? I think it's somewhat arbitrary. Um, I, I'd say the logic is that when we look at the fees here for snowmelt, they're, they're going to be large. They're, they're going to be quite high. And I think folks can make an argument that snowmelt is needed. So we're just trying to find the entry point here. Um, again, this was developed in a consensus setting, which, you know, as you know, doesn't always result in like the most logical. But in, and this is, you know, I'm, I'm really interested in your feedback on this, whether, whether that's too much for fire pits and fireplaces. By the way, right now it doesn't include things like cooking, like outdoor gas grills, even outdoor uh, temporary heaters. You'll see those a lot. This is, this is when a gas line needs to get plumbed in for outdoor gas fireplaces, right? Okay. Yeah. Okay. Okay, so uh, a couple more features of the exterior energy offset program. The, the more thoughtful and efficient the design for a new, say, snowmelt system, the, the smaller the fee or the smaller the offset that's needed. So this is a photo of an air-to-water heat pump. Uh, this has been successfully used in mountain communities to help with snowmelt. And it has a coefficient of performance so how much uh, it, you know, energy is, is being utilized right, to run the system of it, about three. So that means every one unit of electricity, you get three equivalent units of heat out of this thing. Uh, this is state of the art. So your, your offset would be a third less if, if you were able to achieve a system that utilized only air source heat pumps. Ground source can be more efficient. There's also solar thermal. Um, electric resistance is considered to be 100% efficient because 100% of that electricity is converted to heat. Most uh, gas boilers are going to be, if they're put in today, the minimum efficiency is 92%. And so these efficiencies are built into the calculator in drop-down menu items. We're really trying to be fair with this. We're really trying to say, you know, to the degree that's possible, we're predicting the annual energy use of any given system and looking to offset that. Now, the main thing to keep in mind is the, the solar PV, it does have a payback. Um, it's not perfectly suitable for every location, but it, it can and does work in Vail um, in, in locations with, you know, good sun access and the right exposure. The calculator has become even more sophisticated, so depending on the pitch of the roof and the orientation, those are settings within the calculator that help determine the efficiency of that solar system. Is this just for new builds and renovations? So let me, let me get to that. I've got a slide okay. about that uh, okay. coming up here, if you don't mind. I'll talk about that. Okay, so I'm gonna take you through an example, and we're gonna do this example three times. Number one, it's gonna be a residential system with a spool, uh, I'm sorry, with a pool, a spa, and a snowmelt. 
Then we'll do the exact same scenario for commercial, and then we'll do the same scenario again for residential with a PV system, just so you can see how different um, elements influence it. Yes. Just to clarify, this is yeah. an outdoor pool, not an indoor pool. Correct. Okay. Yeah, these are ex exterior outside energy uses. So uh, in our example, we're assuming a 92% heating system. There are minimum square foot exemptions. So for snowmelt, the first 200 feet are exempt. For a spa, it's 64 square feet. We're not trying to impose this program on hot tubs. Okay, these are, these are just for bigger, um, you know, in-ground spas and things like that. And then pools don't have a minimum exemption. Um, what, I'm sorry, was, there is an exemption for hot tubs? Yeah, the first 64 square feet are exempt. So an eight by eight hot tub, that wouldn't apply to this program. Anything okay. bigger than that. All right, so anything bigger than an eight by eight. Yep. And that eight by eight is not the interior measurement, it's the exterior dimensions of a hot tub. Um, that's a good question, I'm not totally sure. But let's say you're, let's say you're uh, in, this, in this case, you have 150 square foot spa. We're gonna subtract um, that, 60, that 64 square feet out of that before we start doing the calculations. Okay. okay. Is so, there a reason, yes. just yep. kind of following up on um, yep. Commissioner Rediger, uh, you know, the, just looking at Eagle County, you know, the BTU output use on a hot tub is five times that of a exterior pool. Yeah. So 430,000 BTU, whereas the exterior pool is at 83,000. Yeah. Um, this exemption, I, unless we're claiming that uh, hot tubs are essential for therapeutic purposes, I, I, I'm not, I, I mean, we're going after what we see is kind of accessory use items. Yeah which are grills, fire pits. I'm not exactly sure why we would exempt, you know, an eight by eight, which still at a BTU level is pulling 430,000 BTUs, yeah. which is five times more than the exterior pool. And it's more than 12 times that of exterior BTUs per square foot for snowmelt. So I just, I'm just trying to figure out, I, I wanna make sure that our reasoning as we advance this policy is solid because people easily could claim that hot tubs are just as much an accessory an accessory use non-essential use i can get it with the snow melt you know we had a fire marshal that used to try to impose snow melt restrictions on walkways for his firefighters so from a health and safety standpoint in driveways and walkways i can understand the snow melt getting some kind of an exemption but the hot tub for me, yeah. still seems as kind of a, a non-essential. I mean, it depends on how long your ski day is, I guess, but it seems like a non-essential. So I, I'm just looking at that calculus and making sure we're identifying it the same as we are everything else. I think it's a good point. This, th this is just a starting point and it's based on what others are doing. Uh, so if we feel like we need more, more aggressive um, standards in Vail, we, we can definitely do that. I would point out that yep. your typical eight by eight nominal hot tub, like a grandee or whatever, is a plug and play. You, it's yeah. electric. Yeah, doesn't so, necessarily trigger the same building permit process. So I would yeah. say you, you yeah. know you can give an exemption for that, but maybe if it's a gas-fired hot tub, yeah. uh, maybe that does not get the exemption. 
Okay. Thank you. So the I'm so, going to ask a question just because I'm interested in yep. the hot tub subject from anybody that has experience, commissioners or otherwise. So when you see, for instance, the above ground hot tubs that people can buy online or from stores that are typically less than eight by eight, those are electric and not gas. Yes. 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 Okay. Now I'll confirm that too, John. Electric. Okay. Yep. Right. And when I was an energy auditor, I, I would always look at the hot tub cover, right? And you want to have a good, robust cover because your electric bill can can really be pretty high with those. Okay. Um, just to, since you yeah. opened it up, uh, I have the opportunity to go to the Mountain Towns 2030 thing about outdoor energy use in Breckenridge. Um, were asked what their big mistake was there with their REMP program was, and they said exempting small hot tubs because they said 10 small hot tubs was actually worse than one hot tub for 20 people in a commercial setting, in a larger setting. So, I mean, I kind of have really thought a lot about this, and I don't think that there should be an exemption. I mean, it's, it's a luxury amenity, um, no matter how big it is. And I think that I would agree with Reed. Well, if the stated goal is to reduce air pollution from gas-fired gas appliances, uh, an electric hot tub, that pollution is occurring somewhere else, not in Vail. Yeah. Yeah, yeah Hayden, Colorado, coal fire plant. Yeah. yeah. So that has to be caught at the DRB process, right? Because it's not a building permit. It's a DRB approval for <clears throat> a portable hot tub, correct? Correct. Yeah, I suppose that's right. I'm sorry, Greg. Yep, agree? that's right. Yeah. Yep. All right, sorry to that interrupt might, those questions. Yeah, Karen. no problem. Yeah, um, appreciate the feedback. Yeah, so uh, just going back to our example here, we're going we're gonna to take out those minimum square footages. We're going to multiply by the assumed BTUs. It, the calculator is doing this. And then it assigns a, square, uh, a similar value uh, to you know, either offset with PV or, or pay the fee in lieu. Um, so in this case, to offset 50% of all of these items would require a, a 28.5 kW system. That's a, quite a large solar system. If we were to offset 100%, we're getting now into, um, you know, uh, in, uh, uh, a solar system probably equivalent of maybe what we have on the Public Works building. Uh, the smaller one out there is uh, 50 kW. And it's quite extensive. So if you don't want to do the solar PV or you can't, then here's the fee that's due, $99,941.99. Uh, so it's, it's a hefty fee for sure. But keep in mind, this is a home with a pool, with a snow melt, and a, and a pretty large spa. So when, the, when your numbers are plugged into yeah. the calculators for this residential yeah. use that we're looking at, this example number one, um, you, uh, the 92% efficiency, yeah. which goes into the calculator, which would get the person, or whoever is developing, to this number, yeah. where does that 92 efficiency rate, percent efficiency rate come from? Is that something that's pretty standard in systems that are going in for pools and hot tubs now? Would it be abnormal to have lower than 92% efficiency? 92% efficiency is the minimum 
code requirement okay. for for that type of equipment now. Okay. For, boiler, and, for boilers in particular. And, yeah. and yeah. so the yeah. 92% number could actually be exceeded by any new development that goes in. Hence, the number that we're looking at could potentially be reduced. This is our worst case scenario, so to speak, under our current code. Yeah, although in my experience, you don't really find too many 97% uh, efficient boilers out there. They, they tend to be a little more finicky. So that, that 90, especially on the commercial end, uh, residential heating systems, you often see 97% efficient, but I, I, don't, I don't know if I've ever seen one uh, more than 92% out there in the commercial setting. Yeah. And the, in terms of, you mentioned that essentially, were we thinking about having an offset ability in, in this ordinance, meaning if people install solar panels or have an alternate form of energy yeah. that are helping supply the heat yep. to these yep. units that is not gas, they can offset potentially up to 100% depending on the size of whatever's going in. So if they're putting in a small spa, yeah. they could offset with solar panels on their roof? That's correct. Okay. Yeah, and, and so if you can, it's a better option because you get that savings on your energy bill. You don't get any future savings with the fee in lieu. Um, that fee in lieu is used, you know, for a clean energy project elsewhere, and you don't get to benefit. So when you're the project owner, you benefit by choosing the solar PV, if that makes sense. And then if you have equipment that's more efficient, like those heat pumps that I was telling you about, then, then the, the scope and size of your offset is reduced. Okay. Right. And the calculator is very sophisticated. It allows for all kinds of cutting-edge technology uh, built into it. Um, so there are really very few cases that we can think of where the calculator can't kind of uh, get a hold of, of what's going on in that particular design. And then so while we're on the residential yeah. example, um, final question I have is... Well, not, maybe not the final. Um, we're looking at offsetting snowmelt, outdoor spas, pools, um, potentially uh, fireplaces, fire pits, or large grills that are gas-fed as opposed to maybe people's individual propane grills. Grills, that's yeah. correct. Like yeah. I, if I go buy a, a, a Weber and have it on my porch, I'm not going to have we to. We don't pay really a have. Fee. There's no entry point. You know, there's no process sure. I, that I'm aware of. Maybe you do have to get a permit for those kind of things if you're a restaurant or something like that. Gas lines going in. Yeah. Okay. But, but the triggering point in this is going to be when someone comes in to apply for a building permit. That that's that's when the program kicks in. What about other types of outdoor heat? For and what I'm thinking of primarily because I've seen other municipalities, counties have looked at regulating outdoor energy use associated with heat tape. Yeah. Is heat tape something that is part of this discussion at this point in time? So heat, heat tape is is um, possible in this calculator. The assumptions have been built in per linear foot. Right now the Eagle County cohort is recommending we don't include it. Uh, in this program. Yep. Okay. Yep. Again, heat tape is primarily electric. Yeah, heat yep. tape would be electric as yep. well. Okay. Yep. So it's only only gas. So, Nothing that's well, currently. Well, so so if if you were to use an electric resistance boiler to heat your 
you know, hot tub or, or even your snow melt. And, and for example, here at the town last year, we installed an electric resistance boiler, quite a large one to do the snow melting at Concert Hall Plaza. Um, it's an experiment because we were trying to get off gas. Uh, and so we wanted to learn how that thing would operate, how much it would cost. Um, the benefit of electricity is that Holy Cross Energy is rapidly heading towards 100% renewable energy. Uh, they're expecting to be 90% plus in 2024. So electricity from Holy Cross Ener Energy is, is on it, well on its way to being decarbonized. The challenge with electricity is, is it's expensive if not used smartly. And exterior energy is just a very energy intensive way to use, use energy. So that electric resistance boiler that was installed and just ran for, ran for the duration of the winter, it performed well, it worked, it, it melted what it needed to, but it did cost more on the utility side. I wanted to bring that up yeah. because this offset doesn't make any sense to me, frankly because you're not really offsetting anything. Because the, you know, the, the power that a home is pulling is already 94% renewable energy from Holy Cross. Yeah. And so if you have an offset allows someone to put solar panels on their home, the idea being that in somewhere else, you know, where, the clean, where the grid is less clean, then you know, they might be pulling from a Hayden coal power plant, like Reed mentioned. Yeah. But in this case, you're replacing renewable energy with a different type of renewable energy we still have the same gas-fired boiler that's firing the snow melt. There is no offset. Yeah. I mean, maybe 7% or 6% because our grid's already so clean, but you're really not offsetting anything. Does that make sense to you? I mean, the, I'd say the offset is a secondary goal to just getting folks to think about their exterior energy use and maybe act more wisely for, for the benefit of others. I mean, do you think... Yeah. I mean, is an offset an appropriate tool in this place, or should it strictly be fee and lieu? Because fee and lieu can be applied towards your projects that are, you know, efficient and actually have impact on climate. Whereas here, we're kind of you're almost playing a shell game with a, yeah. with a solar PV offset program. Yeah. Um, you know, you you bring up a similar point that's been brought up in other discussions. I went to a meeting in Breckenridge about this, and and the same point was brought up. And, uh, you know, r really the response, I think, is we have to start somewhere and we want to give people options, right? This is not, we're not banning natural gas outdoor use. We're just trying to steer the, the ship a little bit. We're trying to influence decision making and we want to give people options. And, you know, solar PV does have a benefit. Uh, I know the grid is, is heading towards renewables. Um, 100%, but rooftop solar still has a, a role to play. And at least for now, there's a financial benefit. So we want to encourage folks to do the same thing, or I'm sorry, to do the right thing and just think about their energy use, right? I think a lot of times it's just taken for granted that this is, this is the only way to, to deal with the mountain environment. If you're building new, you can play with things like the roof pitch, right? And avoid shedding snow directly onto your walkway, then you don't have to snow melt it as much. Um, the, you know, you can choose higher efficient, uh, higher efficiency equipment. You can explore heat pumps. So I think what this does for us is it, it just introduces the question, right? Is this, is this um, it, should we just carry on business as usual, installing this outdoor energy use, all, you know, right? And not, uh, not put a pause in it 
and not think about the impact. And what I noticed at that meeting in Breckenridge, folks who brought up that point, they, they also conceded that, you know, everyone cares about this mountain community. They care about having a future here with good snow and good climate, right? That's incredibly important. So th this, this is the point at which, right, we just start to shift that conversation in a different direction. And it's not perfect, you know, I'll, I'll agree. Um, and, and that fee and lieu, I mean, we, that's gonna go for good purposes, um, but I, I think it's important to leave the option. I think people would be very upset, right, if we didn't give them the option for installing solar PV and being able to reap the benefits that come along with that. I just wanna make sure that what we're doing yeah. is impactful and that yeah. it's driving the actual impact that we're, we're desiring, yeah. so. Yeah, thanks, it, it's a fair question. Okay. Um, the Vail Symposium last week, um, the CEO of Holy Cross came and spoke about kind of this very question and he, and he explained it really well and he said electrification for electrification's sake is not worth it. That energy generation takes place somewhere and so the solar array or the wind farm is going to go in somebody's habitat. Um, and one of the most impactful things that we could do particularly for outdoor energy use was either generation or storage because it's that peak period when everybody is turning on the juice that's gonna make it more difficult for Holy Cross to get to that, that last 15, 10% um, where we will never have a really net zero grid until we start to acknowledge that energy use is not unlimited, right? It, it comes from somewhere and it goes somewhere and that, like, that's, that's entropy. Yeah, timing with electricity use is, is key to all of this, just like you said. Unfortunately, this is not a policy tool that kind of helps us get into the weeds that, you know. I think it does. I think we're, we're in, yeah. we can incentivize behavior change yeah. and we can produce revenue to produce our own storage or energy generation. So, I, I mean, I like we can address about. that question. Like if yeah. we can come find an answer to that question, we can address it. All really good points. Uh, let's take a look here at the next slide at the commercial. So this is the same thousand square foot snowmelt, the same spa, the same pool. And you'll notice the BTUs per square foot are higher for the snowmelt in the pool. And so the subsequent fee in lieu is about 30, 35% higher. It's 134K versus 99K in that residential. And, and that's reflecting the assumed energy use of, of a commercial. Can you explain scenario. on this example why we went from why we went from eighty two thousand to one forty eight on our snowmelt? Yeah, it's just assumed that commercial snowmelt runs for longer duration at okay. potentially higher intensity. Because looking back at that, I'm just yeah. I'm looking directly at Eagle County's energy code that we're kind of modeling yeah. Yeah. this code over, yeah. um, and I don't want my comments in any way to say that I'm not for us establishing some kind of exterior energy code system that that uh, encourages better behavior through um, making you pay out the nose for it. So uh, how where's this data coming from for the BTU per year use? Does it accommodate? Not that it should, but I'm just I, I'm trying to preload the questions, second homeowners. Yeah. 
Because you know that's what's going to happen. If someone's going to come in and they're like, I'm only here two months a year. I, I put the system on dormant the rest of the year, but I'm getting clipped for the BTU on a year-round use. How, how do we navigate that within our code um, and pushing this forward? And where is our data really being rendered from? Uh, because our data and what we're putting out as far as BTU usage is definitely a little bit different than Eagle County. That's a model that's been in place and has been running for a while. I agree that we need to find a way to incentivize better design, more efficient houses, yeah. um, but we're definitely pulling out the stick on this one. This is not a carrot here. And, you know, we're looking at numbers that, you know, we're into six digits right now as far as a fee coming down on a house. And granted, a lot of these people build in Beaver Creek, build in Cordier, and, and deal with the Eagle County fees. They should deal with those fees here in Vail. We just haven't implemented them forever. So I'm an advocate of us, but I just, I wanna make sure that we're answering our questions up front of where our data is coming from, how our calculus works on this, because we're yeah. promoting this calculator, Yeah. but someone's gonna have a question of how is that calculator giving us this historic BTU per year usage? Does it accommodate a yeah. second home? Does it accommodate a home that runs on dormant neutral cycle yeah. for a good part of the year and then they fire it up when they're coming in town they they hit their app and they shoot yeah. the hot tub up to 110 so it's ready to go i i just am asking the questions that are going to get asked right right these are great questions as far as the assumptions uh that resource engineering group used i i, I will have to ask them and and uh learn you know how they arrived at those i will say though i'm looking at a Case study here from Beaver Creek. This was four years of snowmelt data on their 94,000 square foot snowmelt system. And their average energy use was 212, 840 BTUs per square foot. So we're saying in, in a commercial scenario, it's 148,000 BTUs. And in reality, in Beaver Creek, it was, it was much higher. So we might not wanna <laughs> get a more accurate picture of what's happening in Vail because it'll, it'll, the, those fees will go up if we were to more accurately reflect that. I just wanna make yeah. sure that as we yeah. promote this policy, yeah. we have a true yeah. benchmark that's backed up by yeah. real time or accurate data because that's where we get caught in a wormhole. Yeah. And in and, and trying to write this kind of policy, everyone knows that we need to do this. He, yeah. We've been this kind of, you know, hole in the hole of Eagle County by not imposing these yeah. fees, but it's because of these questions that yeah. we don't have this kind of benchmarking data that people can kind of come back on us. So I'm just, it's how a great are we point. gonna provide it? Let me, let me work, uh, so next time I come back, I'll, I'll have a better, better answer to that question. I, I like that question. Shouldn't it be a new system benchmark, right? Because we're, generally applying this to new construction. And so, so we shouldn't take Beaver Creek system because that's old, right? If somebody were to build a, a similar size system today, right. the technology would be better. Right. So that wouldn't right. be necessarily a good benchmark, right? Well, that, and that's reflected in those calculations that uh, efficiency of the system is, is one of the variables that can be adjusted based on what, what's being proposed. So you're right, the Beaver Creek system Probably not the most efficient possible. It might be actually. I, I don't. I don't know what the boiler efficiency is running that system, but uh, it, it's a good point. Yeah. Um, 
let me why 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 are the spa fees for residential and commercial the same per square foot what uh and the snow melt and pools are higher for commercial yeah it's a good question i i'm going to ask resource engineering group about that so they they've got a lot of time uh studying you know these these uses they're okay. based in crested butte so i suspect they'll have a better answer than i can provide right now and i'll make sure i come back to you with that yeah just following up on that i mean intuitively when you're looking at a commercial setting you look at the spas that they have at any one of the resort yeah. properties in town they're operating all the time 24 yeah. hours a day some cases 365 days a year whereas people have noted in private residences even if it's a fancy spa yeah. they don't necessarily have them running all the time yeah. um, in the residential setting because people are trying to con they're more concerned about conserving energy yeah. because they're paying the bill as opposed to a corporation so that'd be that'd be interesting as you were saying from that perspective to, I'll definitely look to understand that. why that number isn't increased in a commercial setting. Yeah. It's a great question. So. I have a lot, I have questions about how to understand com the definition of commercial in this application, right? So if you have like a condo of residential homeowners, right? Yeah. Um, is that commerce? Like the antlers, is that commerce? I think it depends on whether it's a shared amenity or, you know, if it belongs to that individual residence. Well, a share of it would belong to each one of the individual residents. Yeah. So when you think about that, if you take the size of the antlers pool and divide that by the residences there, right? Yeah. Um, you know, is it the same thing as having an individual hot tub at a bunch of short-term rentals in residential neighborhoods, right? Like, it's, the commerce part becomes tricky, I think, yeah. because hotels are easy, but we have a whole lot of things that are, I don't know, call them public accommodation, or it's a. So that's another great It's question. not like a clear, defined yeah. thing, like, commerce is if you're making money off of it, but you're make, you can make money off of an amenity, like if you click has hot tub on Airbnb, like, that's commerce. Probably the defining point has, has to do with the implementation. So when someone comes in for a building permit, uh, the building official or the plans reviewer decides whether it's gonna fall under you know, a commercial or a res residential definition. Um, but I will get with the, the building department and, and get a better answer. So that's, that's a great question. I think intuitively we would look at multifamily probably as commercial. Um, and then single-family duplexes, any of those low density would most likely be residential. Um, just the fact multifamily, whether it's condo, hotel, could be rented out similarly like condo hotels, like you're referring to, is similar to the Antlers. Um, I think that would likely be our starting point for that conversation. That's a slippery road to walk down. But I'll, yeah, I'll let it go for now. Okay, so I'm gonna backtrack one slide. So in our previous residential example, we either need a 28.5 KW system or a $99,000 fee in lieu. So now let's say we add a 10 KW system. Uh, that's a pretty good size solar system. I've got a 10 KW system myself. It's 24 panels. 
and uh, it, it lives in my backyard, um, so it is achievable. That's gonna save uh, $34,000, $35,000. So in this case, that person would be installing that 10KW, and then they would be paying 64, 65K to make up the difference there, because remember, we needed a 28KW system to be 100%, I'm sorry, to be a 50% offset um, right, so if you, they didn't want to pay any fee, 28KW, but in this case, 10KW, smaller fee, and then they get the benefits of that solar system. What, what's just an estimate of what a cost of a 10KW system would cost? So collectively, we've agreed that in Eagle County, at a, a fair average price for solar is $3.50 per watt, and so that, that's reflected in this price. Uh, we're suggesting that that price be updated every few years, maybe every three years. We, we do a study, we look at average cost for solar, that's not too hard. And I think 350 a watt is a very fair price for solar. So that's 35,000, so basically yeah. just covers the offset. That's right. And your hope is that some way over time it contributes some savings, right? Um, electrical savings to the to the person that installed it yes yes and and we can definitely bring back those those more detailed economics of what uh what the payback is on a on a solar system for you if that's helpful i mean it's it's the better choice if you can do it but again not everyone has the space or not always the inclination either right you do have to find space on your roof and and install additional equipment um, but by the way, also, we do have rebates some, oh I'm sorry go ahead there's some some lots residences that you know I happen to own one that I don't think I have a drop of sunlight for five months out of the year yeah yeah that's right it could be tough and the calculator takes into account geothermal or other alternative means of generating yes. electricity yes so let's say <clears throat> let's say you go with an air source heat pump uh, one of those arctic heat pumps that i showed a picture of i'm actually familiar with a, a couple snow melt systems in eagle county that are, are run off of these things they are they're twice as efficient um, on the coldest days as as a gas fired boiler and so your fee would be half of what it would be with with the gas um, and that calculator takes that into account it's got some really sophisticated sort of back-end you know engineering grade calculations uh, I've gone into the um, background calcs page a, a little bit um, it all it all looks pretty um, it all looks like it's on the up and up to my untrained eye um, but again the resource engineering group these are folks who've developed this calculator for, for Aspen. This is what Aspen uses, Picking County, Telluride Village, uh, Mountain Village, Snowmass, Basalt, and now Eagle County, EcoBuild, Avon, Edwards, Eagle. Uh, Gypsum is not doing this. So I go back to my original question, which was, it's for renovations and 
uh, new properties because yeah. you tip the hat saying this occurs when you go for building permit. Yeah, yeah. so uh, Commissioner Pratt asked me about this last time and I wanted to respond to it. Um, we, I think the question was phrased around, you know, we wanna make sure we don't, we aren't discouraging people from making upgrades to more efficient systems that would save energy. So I thought about it a little bit, and, and this is my response. Uh, when you upgrade from an old to a new system, you're typically going from, say, an 80% to a 92%. And so over the lifetime of that new equipment, um, the, that means that we're not accounting for 80% of those emissions, right? We're, we're getting a 10% bump, but there's still, you know, it, in fact, that, that, I'm sorry, that should be 88 to 90% of emissions. That's a mistake. So it's really the efficiency gains are a fraction of the energy use that we're assuming and that we're, we're trying to mitigate even if it's at 50%. And so the other point is that, you know, we're mostly a redevelopment community. And if we don't include replacement systems, this, this program is not going to have much of an impact at all. Um, we want people to start thinking going forward, right? We can't do anything about the energy that's behind us. All we can look at is the new energy uses going forward, right? And we, we can't go around and tell people, right, make them upgrade their system. So this program can only really, really apply when people come in for that building permit. Um, so th that's, okay. that's our recommendation is that we include replacement systems right they're treated as a new system moving forward now let's say somebody does come in into this program they've paid a fee and then for five, five years later for whatever reason right their equipment fails they need to come in and replace that equipment uh, there is a prorated option for the amount that they've already paid for that five years so for folks who are newly right charged in this program we do a, we can account for that if that makes sense is that part of the calculator? Are sophisticated or overly complicated, um, depending on? How you it's not. That. It's not that complicated. I I I watched uh, a discussion about it, and basically, you can take the, the these are based on twenty year increments, so that that's where that comes from. That's like the approximate life of solar, the approximate life of a of a uh, of a, a boiler. So the proration is just the percentage already paid, right, subtracted from, from the new cost. So when we're talking about a remodel, when it new, it's clear in terms of new use. With a remodel, um, do they have to be, I'm assuming all of these systems that we're talking about are operated by a boiler, correct? Pretty much, I'd that's say 99%. That's what we're targeting. So is it yeah. replacement of that boiler yes. that's operating the system that triggers the fee that we're discussing? Correct. So let's say somebody does a remodel. Yeah. Um, they're required to upgrade to, not, if they have a in, more inefficient system that's currently operating, town code would require them to go up to the 92% for, in conjunction with their remodel, is that correct? Or could they keep their old inefficient system operating? Dan didn't, I, I told him I wasn't going to make him come up here, but well, he's that's here. Why you never and if you could just introduce yourself for the record. So, sorry, can I, you say your name again? I didn't catch it. It's Dan Brown. Dan Brown, I'm yes, sorry. Sir. Nice to meet you. It's nice to meet you too. 
Um, so when it comes to the building code, you have the existing building code. Can you, you speak into the mic so we can get this on the record? You have different levels of renovations, one, two, three, depending on which one you do, depends on how much of it you have to bring up to code. So a lot of times things are grandfathered in. You know, like if they were going in and they weren't touching that system or anything like that, I probably wouldn't press for its replacement. Okay. But having been in the scenario, someone comes in, most times they're not just fixing that system. The boilers have run through their use of life. They are no longer functioning. Like John said, under the code, he comes in and puts in an application that we have to drop two new boilers in for our snowmelt system, it's already required by code that he's gonna to have to get to a 92% efficiency on his new boilers. He can't go out and source a 80% efficiency boiler. So by code, he's already kind of forced to increase the efficiency of his system. My concern with this is people are gonna string out or cobble together old inefficient systems as long as they possibly can continuing this wave of inefficient boilers until they finally can no longer function, then they're gonna do this because this does, in essence, penalize you for upgrading your system to the new efficient. You're better off just stringing that system along as long as you can because if you're gonna get hit the same and you're gonna be taxed from basically zero square foot or whatever our exemption is, that 200 square footage on up, it, it clips you pretty hard. So just practically thinking and working with clients, if all of a sudden I say, well, here's the deal. You can change out your heat pump, your thermal coupler. You can change a bunch of parts and kind of keep this thing running along until it dies finally or you sell it on to someone else. Because what will happen is if we want to truly make this efficient, which is the environmentally smart thing to do, you're going to get clipped for the whole boat as far as the system and you're gonna get taxed on the whole thing. So again, I defer back to before our conversations and I understand we need to have an impact here, but our earlier conversations in the last meeting we had, we kind of were exempting out these replacement systems because they were boosting the efficiency. Because any boiler, I, 92s didn't come on until, well, 92s have been in existence for about seven to nine years. Before that, there are 80s, there are 70s. I've seen some systems that probably were operating at 50%. So just, just understanding that, because I think you understand the scenario as well as anyone, that people, it's a big hit to replace your boilers as it is. And then on top of that, us taxing that system. I mean, uh, snowmelt, system for a thousand square feet of driveway is a fifty thousand dollar boiler change out because of the way the systems are it's it's not so i we just have to think about that on the replacement systems which give us a refreshed new much more efficient system in our community so that's the benefit to community they're reducing their usage significantly it's just that do we hit them that hard on a replacement system the same as the guy comes in building the 12,000 square foot house, yeah. 2,000 square feet of snow melt, outdoor patios, whatever, do, do we clip that guy the same thing? It's, it's a fair question. 
you know, I think, um, <clears throat> I mean, what, one other thing to think about is you know, are people adding additions, right? When they do their replacement boiler, then are they adding more zones? Um, if, if the program doesn't apply, we don't really get to, right, consider that. And j just the point that that's probably going to be most of our business <laughs> through this program. Well, is, and also understanding there's a lot of hybrid systems yeah. that not only provide yeah. the outdoor snowmelt, they also are a secondary or if you do a staggered system, you're actually providing in, yeah. inside domestic as well yeah. off that boiler system yeah. sometimes. So there is, there is that wrinkle that someone could... You know, they have a, a system that's hybrid. It's indoor domestic yeah. as well as outside. That's their boiler. So, you know, there are some things to think about there as we craft yeah. this. Yeah. Just input. I mean, that's kind of like the, the wood stove effect, right? Like, you can't... It's like a, nobody touches their... Well, it depends on what kind of house you're going into. But if you've got... There's still houses that have wood-burning stoves in them. Because touching a single brick on that fireplace would require you to change it, so you just don't. Yeah. Um, so I guess the question is: Is it better to install a new, incentivize an old system to continue to operate until it fails and you have to replace it, or is it better to incentivize a replacement of a system that still has a useful life? Let me see if I can reframe this a little bit, and it touches on what um, Commissioner Hagedorn brought up about, you know, what is this, what is this offset really doing? Is, is the PV really helping? Are the fees really helping? I, I believe that they are. I think that more PV is better. I think that uh, we need funding to help community efficiency energy projects. That, that's my belief. And so if we're at a 50% offset, Compare that to the 10% savings we're getting from a, an efficient boiler when someone makes that makes that upgrade. So 50%, it's just bigger than 10%. You can weight these things differently, right? You know there's a real efficiency with that upgrade, and you can debate the merits of the um, of the offset. But it, in my mind, they're a different scale, and they have a different impact. And and the success of this program, it, it's going to require intervening at that replacement point that's my opinion so um. what about um, other types of systems aside from spas again going back to this um, I see uh, people I can think of a few residences at least one in my yeah. general neighborhood people that run water features yep. year-round they obviously have to heat those yeah um, and I, I you know, personally think we should ban all water features in town, but some people for some reason like them. Um, assuming that we don't have a ban in place on water features and you have people that are heating water feature systems and letting them run year round, is that something to be considered along the lines? What's the energy use there? Is it considered along the lines of spas? What, what I mean, I would think that's a lower amount just to heat the water to keep it flowing, not freezing, but is that something that we should look at as well? Or is I, that not quite an issue? I don't think so, issue? just because it hasn't been studied and vetted, right, by, by the resource engineering group. And I, I think that outdoor energy use, snowmelt, and the like are, are very common. I'd say water features probably represent a much smaller 
um, proportion of outdoor energy use. That's my guess. Uh, Kristen and I were just talking about how we might, you know, disaggregate community-wide energy use into end uses like snowmelt. How would we do that? It's a bit of a difficult math problem. Uh, so that's probably my response. We, we don't really have it built into the tool okay. and, it, and it hasn't been vetted um, appropriately. What about um, setting limits for residences and or commercial spaces and capping their overall outdoor energy use? Setting, uh, setting an, a limit in terms of what a residence or a commercial space can have in terms of overall outdoor energy use to discourage yeah, overuse. Yeah. It, it's a plausible next step. I, I think it's important that we get this program in place first. Uh, for communities that have had this program in place for a long time, say 20 years, like, like in Aspen, they are starting to put caps on maximum square footage in homes, and, and I believe exterior energy use. Don't, don't hold me on that, I, I'll, I'll find out. Uh, so there are other communities that are further ahead along in this conversation that are starting to limit um, exterior energy use. Uh, Town of Crested Butte, it's a slightly different scenario, but they've actually banned new natural gas entirely in the Town of Crested Butte. So any new building has to be all electric um, in Crested Butte. So there's just a range of actions that can be taken. Um, and so I think I like where you, I like what you're thinking, uh, but for now th this is kind of where we're at. Well, in, at Mountain Towns, Aspen spoke to this, and they said that the reason that they had to put the reason that they capped it was yeah. that they've had this program in place for so long, and it had absolutely no effect on the installation of new systems. Like people were paying for it, and the fund was was gigantic, right? Yeah. We're t making tons of money in offset and. They were producing some solar, yeah. but in the end, nobody was really making the decision to not heat the outdoors. Yeah. Yeah. And so that, that was kind of like the, the impetus of their change. And I was wondering if, I mean, that's kind of a question for me is, are we trying to get people to not heat the outdoors? Or are we trying to get them to not heat it with gas? Yeah. I mean, my we're, on, we're on a journey here. We have to begin somewhere, right? <laughs> I've got another question about, I've got a couple more questions, but one would be about the, the fees that are generated. Um, the plan is what, to put them in a specific fund? And um, so with that, what are, um, how are we gonna specify how those funds are used? And I'll just go ahead and say that I think a priority for the funds should be um, helping residences in the valley become more efficient energy efficient and i see a big problem um, being apartment style housing townhome style housing housing that's been around for a while housing that's owned by locals and is not likely to be redeveloped such as the second homeowner type housing and helping those people because i think a lot of those residences are not energy efficient yeah. and it would be good to maybe specify funds going to energy efficient projects primarily for residences is that something yeah. that's being considered D definitely i think that'd be the the top priority for this fund 
Um, I'll give you an example of something that we could look at is uh, green deeds in Crested Butte. So uh, for deed restricted homes in Crested Butte, they can get significant, I'm talking about thousands of dollars in assistance to improve the energy efficiency. We're talking about weatherization, insulation, air sealing, um, heat pumps, renewable energy. I was just speaking with a colleague who manages that program. It's been really successful in Crested Butte. I would love to see something like that for our, you know, I think we're up to um, maybe a thousand deed restricted homes here in Vail. So that would be one, one great use. You know, we do have rebates available through our partners at Energy Smart Colorado for Town of Vail residences. That's funded by, by the Town of Vail. But we can do better. In fact, we must do better if we're gonna meet our climate action goals. We need to get everybody on board with the basic efficiency upgrades that are possible, especially for those older houses. And I've been in a lot of those homes as an energy auditor, so, so I know. I know exactly what you're talking about. Um, as far as the fund itself, typically it's de the town manager is designated, right, the, the authority, but they will, the town manager typically creates a committee who's responsible for the dispensation of those funds. And those funds would have more flexibility than our current rebate structure. You know, rebate programs have to be structured pretty tightly, right, to make good use of those dollars and, and, and dole them out fairly. In this case, I think it would give us flexibility to do things like, say, at the redevelopment of Timber Ridge, right? There currently is not funding for renewable energy at that project. Um, this fund could help uh, with the capital expenses for workforce housing, which in the long run reduces utility costs for those tenants, right? It just eases the burden on, on the utilities. And, and so that's a win-win for, for everybody. So those are the kind of uses we have in mind for that, for that clean energy fee. Um, and I, I think we would take pains to make sure that we are you know, achieving what we said we, we want to with that fee, right? We don't want it to start migrating into other you know, beneficial worthy causes, but that don't necessarily save energy. And then I want to go back to a point that Commissioner Smith raised a while back, but I think it's a good one that deserves some deserves some more discussion which is um i know that we need a starting point or we're looking for a starting point here but if you have 500 hot tubs that are powered by electricity because they're small and they're plug-in how is that any better than one or two gas-powered spas you're still putting so much pressure on the electrical grid yeah. that ultimately we're not achieving as, as Commissioner Smith mentioned, concerns from Holy Cross's CEO, how do they get to 100% renewables if, if, we're, if we allow an exemption, so to speak, for a bunch of hot tubs that are powered by electricity, or even if all of a sudden technology arrives that it makes it efficient, people are running electrical boilers to run their out, giant outdoor pools that they don't, they're never swimming in for majority of the year. Um, how is that any better for our environment in the long run than, um, than you know, just well, how is it any better? Is it? No, it might not know. be. You know, I, <laughs> I hope it's okay for me to say this, but we're looking for like a politically palatable situation. And I do worry that 
right? You can see the headlines in the Vail Daily. Uh, we're coming after your hot tubs, right? <laughs> yeah, well, let's say if you run the numbers yeah. on, a, on an electric hot tub, a yeah. plug-in hot tub, yeah. I was just going seven by seven as standard. What I saw, did research on hot tubs, I didn't realize the electrical versus the gas at the time. I only appreciate that now from this meeting, but I was looking at a seven by seven hot tub at the rates that we were talking about. You got 49 square feet. The actual hot tub itself online is gonna be somewhere between five and $7,000. If you did not, if you, we had no exemption for electrical hot tubs, those people would pay more to install their hot tub in a fee over $7,800 than they pay for the hot tub themselves. I do think that's problematic, but on the other hand, I think it's problematic that it's okay to have tons of electrical hot tubs operating, yeah. but you're only penalizing gas, same size, same, yeah. same outdoor heat loss, all of those things. I'm just throwing that out there. I'm not looking for an answer from you, Cameron. I'm just bringing Fair up enough. those points that I, I saw yeah. Yeah. coming in. Thank you. Yeah. Yeah. We'll put some. And I, I jump in, John. Sure, please. Um, you know, it's interesting. You know, Commissioner Smith's comments. You know about Aspen, and you know, the, the word I probably would use is this has proven to be just a wealth tax, and it's generated a lot of funds, but it clearly hasn't changed behavior. Um, second comment, just an interesting thought is. So if someone decommissioned their driveway or their, you know, driveway and their spa and their pool, um, would you guys consider providing a financial incentive to do that just as throwing it out? Um, uh, next question is, so the town of Vail itself has a significant square footage of heated surface. And at some point those, whatever heats that service is gonna to have to be replaced, is the town gonna to participate in this program? And I'm just doing rough math. <coughs> I would think it would be six or $7 million um, to replace their boilers. And then, you know, I'm a owner in Founders Garage, which is hydronically heated with boilers inside, um, not outside, but inside. But I'm assuming if we had to replace those boilers again, we have um, whatever it is, 70 or 80,000 square feet, um, big number again, right? So I'm just asking those questions. And I mean, in particular, I think the town, someone's going to hold the mirror up to the town, you know, because obviously we put hydronically heated streets in 25 years ago, and they're going to ask, does, does the town participate in this program? In terms of technology, you know, it, it, we're talking about an upfront fee or a tax. It, it, it can be characterized either way. Um, it's based upon assumptions, right? We, we understand that the, the calculator and everything is based upon assumptions and not actual use. In terms of technology out there, is there a way? to monitor new systems based upon actual use and build a fee tax, however you want to characterize it, based upon actual use versus assumed use, or is that just something that's way too difficult to do? 
I think probably theoretically it, it's possible. Um, you know, we, we just don't really have the tools ready to go for that kind of program. I think it'd be, I think uh, it, you're talking about a pay as you, pay as you go or pay to play. Yeah, I mean, you're, if you're running your your yeah. your outdoor gas heated boiler pool, 365 days out of a year, you have a meter on that yeah. boiler or whatever that shows actual use and build a build a fee based upon that, um, I mean, as opposed to to somebody who might only use their a heated pool in a residence a, a couple of months out of a year. Or same thing with a hot tub. Well, it is interesting because it's analogous to what the state is doing with their new building performance standards for buildings over 50,000 square feet. Those buildings have to report their energy use. And uh, in at certain years in the future, there are benchmarks where that energy use has to come down, where they're going to be paying fines. And so that's current state law for, for big buildings. Um, so, so it is possible, but I'd say in our humble domain uh, here at the town of Vail, that, that would be tough. Because yep. you'd have to have a person probably. You, would, you couldn't work really in conjunction with Holy Cross. There'd have to be some sort of meter on that gas line, right, or whatever that yeah. goes yeah. outdoors. Yeah. So you'd have to have Holy Cross guy should come talk to he had, He kind of talked about a lot of this. It might be worthwhile to have him come in and kind of like give us the lay of the land. Because, John, what you're saying is, is he was talking verbatim saying the same thing. He's like, we, we're gonna have the technology for our, us as the power company to reach into your nest system and turn your heat down a little bit. Um, I even will, though we know you're not that, there. That's a little <laughs> overbearing, but. The, but no. he, he, he should, you should hear it from him because it's a good idea, right? It's a thing that they're talking about. Um, yeah, my wife already keeps our temperature at about 62 degrees. I don't need Holy Cross to that's just a joke. Would there be an option? Sorry. Uh, would there also be an option, say, if you replaced your gas system with electric heat mat? That then you would because so, we're going back to this electric deal, and there are yeah. now yeah. commercial grade electric heat mat yeah. technology available. The, the, those are in the calculator. Uh, sorry to interrupt. Does the fee get waived? The fee doesn't get waived. It, uh, but it, you do. It is a more efficient system. It's considered 100% efficient. So that that's reflected in a slightly reduced fee. Yeah. Slightly reduced for 100% efficiency. Yeah. Well, so your boiler's 92. Yeah. So yeah. Yeah, but yeah, you get 8%. So you're switching off. Yeah. You're still using that gas. That just so again. We're not trying to punch holes in it. Yeah. What we're trying to do is ask questions that allow us to defend this when yeah. we implement it, because yeah. it is going to be a significant fee to all these new homeowners, to people replacing their systems. So we have to answer all these questions. But yeah, I, you know, the whole idea was to get rid of gas usage, right? And looking at a system still at ninety-two percent, it's still, you know, it's. 82,000 BTU per square foot over the system, or you're bringing an electric system that supposedly by 2024 is running off a completely clean grid, but we're only gonna give you a slight discount for the cost that you're already gonna incur by ripping out this complete gas system and putting in an electric system. So 
plus upgrading your your panel. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, you're bringing in 400 amps now because there's no way to supply it off a current house service. So just obviously we're going down this road. We got a lot of miles to cover before we get it right. But just in trying to get the information, the questions in hand, because yeah, it it could just become a luxury impact fee, which it's become in other communities. And some of these people building these properties probably have no problem writing a hundred thousand dollar check um, to handle it. But I'm just I'm trying to get to the efficiency. If we take a complete gas system off and we're putting in an electric system that's running off, there's got to be more than a slight discount for that. I want to completely reiterate that. It's almost like there's a disconnect here. Is this a program that's designed at reducing outdoor energy use in aggregate, or is it designed at the decarbonization of outdoor energy use? You know, yeah. and those are two different things. Yeah. Um, and what what are what is really the end goal here? Because yeah. if it is more towards decarbonization of outdoor energy use, then as Reed's saying, you know, you need incentive to drive people to you know maybe adopt more sophisticated but more expensive technology. And an eight percent delta is not going to cut that in this program. I'd almost think that the end game of the program would be to both, would be to serve both interests. I think it's a you know very good point again that Commissioner Smith brought up a little while ago. You know, even limiting just gas has one effect, that's decarbonization. But if you allow people to electrify everything outdoors, it's still a huge waste of energy and it's still taxing the grid, um, which overall doesn't help. Um, our energy usage so uh, interesting um, any other thoughts or questions for staff in regard to the I've got a couple questions at the beginning you talked about uh, fireplaces and fire pits in the residential context these things are not used very often does the calculator account for that or are they charged as if it were running 24-7 because of good question I'll, I'll come back to you with that answer i don't know if it's in the code here but in california we had to put a timer on all those things uh so it has to be part of the that's part of the energy code now okay well. so yeah it, you know you can't run it that long because people walk away and it you know yep. shuts itself off in a commercial setting you know you walk into the outside lobby and there's a fireplace going and i can see how that goes you know 20 hours a day or whatever but I just wonder on the residential side, since it is a pretty, you're, you're talking about 100% offset, are you discounting that number based on actual usage? I would, uh, this is new to the town of Vail, even though it's uh, been executed in mountain communities all around us. And it's unclear, and fellow commissioners have talked about decarb versus electric versus what is the goal of the town. And it's not clear to me um and i think that needs to be clear 
next time. That's fair. Um, you know, I, I want to respond right now, but I think I want to collect my thoughts. And you guys, y'all have given me, you know, some really, really helpful and important uh, considerations to mull over. So th thank you for that. I I'll bring you back a crystal clear answer next time. The so, goals. Yeah. 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 Any other thoughts or questions by commissioners that might be helpful for staff as we move this agenda item forward in the future? Um, I have like comments right now, like the, like the closing statement. So I don't know, are we, because this is just an information update. Yeah, we're not doing we public comment or any of that. So okay. any of your thoughts that you want to, to give the staff now would be helpful. I think that we should uh, pick a reasonable target date to sunset gas heated driveways. I think that'll help set the expectation for our community that like this is a technology that that is simply not going to be part of our future and maybe that's 2030 or you know at some point um, I don't know how we get to 2030 net zero and, and are still putting in fossil fuel heated driveways. Um, so I, I think that it would be this would be a really good step to start doing that and that way you know people have kind of an end date this is where we're headed right um i think we should have a hundred percent mitigation for new systems and expansion of systems and particularly on snowmelt um snowmelt i heard uh, the rec resource environmental engineering group or whoever yeah. you're quoting here did a uh, the study for breckenridge and found that heating the outdoors was 70 to 90 times more inefficient than running diesel trucks and snowblowers that are 20 years old. I mean, it's, um, whoever gets on council will have to deal with our snowmelt system because Mr. Jensen brings up a very good point, but I mean, it's, it is a criminal use of resources to heat the outside with natural gas and electric would be better but i think it's important that we differentiate between those things and just really make gas inappropriate um i am kind of unclear about how what what behavior we're expecting from sites with that are just not big enough to host a solar array like that or are you know like mr jensen said in the shadow of the mountain there should be some intermediary step between fee and loo and um and on-site solar um, maybe that's storage so at least you're not hitting the grid at the same time everybody else is if you have a storage system um i think that we should cap total outdoor energy use i, I know that's not part of this but that's kind of where we're going we're kind of late to the party and coming up with this aspen's got why not take the lesson and learn from them? And we can cap and trade. They've got, I think it's 2 million BTUs per residence or something like that. It's not, it's not a tight belt by any means. Um, I think we also need to have an explicit uh, statement in regards to equity. Um, a one or 2% cost increase on housing has a very different impact um, like price elasticity is just very different on Forest Road as it is on Furnish Road. And so I'm not saying that we should exempt um, 
you know, deed restricted or, or affordable housing projects, but I think we just need to make a real conscious acknowledgement that when we drive up housing costs, um, we aren't taking into account displacement and the environmental impact displacement has. Commercial versus residential, I don't, I don't know how we would make that distinction. If you're running a system long, you're making a big assumption about who's running their system longer or shorter, so I would just sidestep that whole conversation um, and just have it the same. Um, and I wish we could include water in this. <laughs> I, I mean, because just the infrastructure and, and energy required for potable water treatment that goes into landscaping is it's so real. It's, it's a thing. Um, and the water company can, can charge you by water tier and how much you use, but there's no one accounting for that energy, really. Um, oh, and my last point, I guess, would be I think we can go approach this with like a utilitarian principle, right? Where we're not prioritizing the most consumptive use by the fewest number of people. I mean, it'd be easier to sell if there was a, a, benef a more public benefit for the, the public cost. That's my piece. Thank you. Thank you, Cameron. Uh, any other thoughts or questions or anything for staff at this time? Just a very brief one. Um, I don't think that snowmelt should be counted at 50%. It's an outdoor impact use. It's using the energy. It should be at 100%. You know, I could maybe see a, a small exemption like you have for some walkways and whatnot and stairs for, you know, entry safety reasons. But when you're to the point of heating a driveway, you don't need to heat that driveway. You know, when you don't heat that driveway, these second homeowners are probably hiring a local person to clear their snow for them and spending money in our economy, it should not be 50% reduction. Yeah, was there, was there an exemption? We had a 64 square foot exemption for taking into account smaller hot tubs that are probably electrical. Um, was there any contemplated exemption for snow melt on driveways? 200, 200. the first 200. 200, feet, and what about for pools? No, no minimum. For pools, you know, there's, you so two hundred can't have a teeny tiny pool, I guess. Okay, and that exemption on outdoor smoke melt applies to driveways, walkways, everything. It's yes. just any outdoor yes. patios, any outdoor yep. snow melt. Okay, correct. We should limit that to like ADA accessible walkways, right? The hospital, you know, like people where where like stairs, right? Like on the parking garage or you know any place that. It's super critical. Like your your car will probably be okay, but like where it's like a personal safety thing, it seems like we should. If there's an exemption, if you get a hundred feet, it should be where people are walking or or wheeling or crutching. Well, Cam and I we had discussed what that would look like exemptions when it concerns life safety. Um, I do. Are there not ordinances here that when it comes to fire code, depending on the slope of the driveway, it has to have snow melt for vehicles? So I can answer that. So 10% uh, you can go unheated for the slope. Once you go between 10 or 12%, then it has to be heated. So anyone doing the steeper driveway um, above 10%, up to 12, will be required to heat it. How many driveways is that? More than you think. A decent amount. All right. Probably. It would be helpful to understand what we're 
who were so we're exempting a, a large number of properties from this and I do wish we we had more data on this for you guys uh, I looked at other towns and the, the fees that come in are highly variable year to year I mean a single big project can can tip it in one direction so it's a little unpredictable to say you know how many fees right would come in and how many permits right it's it's kind of variable from year to year but the but the growing the fund like making the money yeah. isn't the goal of this program right right the goal of the program is yeah. to change the behavior and stop heating the outdoors and two if you're gonna do it anyway do it with electric right that those are the I think that would be a good way to approach this is, is to just define like what our goals are because if measuring success is how much money we're making in offset fees yeah we could design this program differently <coughs> I do think you know there's the there's the optimistic approach that we'd love to address both outdoor consumption outdoor use consumption and the carbon footprint um, being a realist I think you maybe chase one to the next uh, maybe if we can just start to reduce that outdoor gas consumption those BTUs because you know we're in your one option we're looking at a house that's almost 300 million BTUs in a year right and that's not even including the interior use that that structure is going to have. So you're looking at a massive. So if we can reduce that carbon output and the electric option being the favorable one, encouraging whether it's electric outdoor heat mat at a significant discount, the same kind of discount that we're offering the solar, that could potentially start to curb behavior more than people just paying the money. I'm, I'm throwing it out there. Um, just looking at what's available in that heat mag technology versus uh, radiant gas um, hydronic systems, it's, it's almost evened out now. So obviously we have to upgrade the service and everything there, but if you try to chase it all at once, I think you create a program that's untenable. So I think if we can create a program that incentivizes the conversion maybe to electric because we're gonna be running off a clean grid and removing it. And yeah, the aspirational idea is that, you know, we don't have any exterior uses that are fueled by gas in the future. Um, I, I, I hope that's attainable. Uh, the other thing is, Commissioner Hagedorn's brought it up. I think all the commissioners have brought it up. It's really difficult to maintain this kind of a position when the town is probably one of the most egregious violators of this. I just did a brief calculation. I don't know if, but just off what I could figure out, we've snow melted in the town. It's an astronomical number of square footage that we have, we are currently snow melting in the town. So it's really hard for us to apply these fees, which are gonna be seen as penalties for building new or redoing your system. And yet the town just continues to plug along snow melting streets all day long for really aesthetic reasons. We can call life and safety all day long, but you know, 
these streets were plowed and plowed for 35, 40 years before we made this switch to snowmelt. So just, it's an important point that needs to be carried for. How do we handle that messaging? I think we should separate that, those two conversations. I think it would be really helpful just from a clarity perspective because we, is, we have an obligation to do, to protect the public, right? Um, and not kind of justify like the previous decisions, but I mean, it, the snowmelt, our snowmelt system is criminal in some aspects of how much energy it uses. I think it would be helpful if we had a, a very separate conversation so we can address this and then talk about the snowmelt system separately because that geothermal and uh, there are some other avenues that we need to go down we have to address it but i think it would be helpful if we could just air it out in a different format so we can get this through clean i, I would be happy to come back and talk to you about some of the progress we're making on that front you should also bring mr time. greg hall <laughs> greg i have a quick question for you about code right now um the 10 per 10 to 12 percent driveways where we require snow melt um is that anytime somebody resurfaces their driveway what's the trigger for some because there are plenty of driveways out there that are above 10 percent um that are not snow melted right now what's the trigger for a current owner with a current driveway to have to install snow melt so i think that would be our our demo rebuild when they're in 50 percent of the grfa removal and re and or so adding. if they just want to redo the surface of their driveway i either their asphalt's falling apart and they want to put in new asphalt there that there's no trigger to have to put in snow melt right we have to confirm that with our public works departments they're the ones that kind of regulate that but certainly from my perspective i don't think it'll be required at that point if you're just okay. resurfacing all right and my final Final thought for you guys is it's already been said. We've had a lot of good points. Um, I would like to see something in the code that overall caps outdoor energy use, um, assuming that other commissioners are willing to entertain such language. I, I do think ultimately that this is, for lack of a better characterization, fees being imposed upon wealthy second homeowners, and I don't think that it's wrong. We need to stop this wasteful outdoor energy use. It has to, it has to be stopped or curtailed. The problem is, the effect is, these people have so much money typically that it, there, it's just another fee to them, and at the end of the day, it's not going to limit their outdoor energy use. They're, they're just going to pay the fee. Now, while that those dollars can come help the town improve energy efficiency in other realms, which has an overall benefit to our society, I think that simply imposing a fee isn't going to be a deterrent. I actually would like to see fees based upon actual use and consumption versus assumptions. I don't know that the technology, if the technology is there, but I would like to see meters put on people's snow belt systems, meters put on people's outdoor energy use systems that are monitored and fees be assessed that way. That would be my priority. I get a little nervous with the assumption model because number one, I think it can penalize people that don't use up to the BTUs that are being assumed that they're being used with the product. So that's unfair. 
I don't think it, at the same time it, it actually encapsulates out the actual outdoor use. And people, you know, if we're saying that we're trying to discourage use, if there's a way to do it out there, you hit people with this is how much you're actually using. So this is this thing, and then in that sense, it could be both electrical and gas. It doesn't just have to be based upon gas output. I don't know if the technology is there, if that's something that's possible. So those are my final thoughts. Um, there's one a lot, point, a lot to, of complicated sorry, issues John. here. Go right ahead. One point just to clarify, and um, you guys can answer this. This goes back to a question from uh, Commissioner Smith. Uh, new landscaping code does have restrictions on kind of water consumption design that you can utilize with new landscaping on remodeled and new projects, correct? So we actually have not gotten there. Eagle River Water and Sand has talked about doing some landscaping kind of measures or working with municipalities to do landscape <coughs> codes that have something similar to that. Um, what recent thing we have started doing is requiring or not allowing those outdoor water features and that's also coming from Eagle River Water and Sanitation because they don't have aesthetic water rights. Um, so we have not been allowing outdoor water features. Aesthetic water rights. Which apparently is a specific type of water right that is not, that they do not have in their. That's very interesting. Package, I guess. So yep. what about Kentucky bluegrass? <laughs> I'm not sure how landscaping fits into there, but I believe water features is solidly in there. This would be a very interesting, I'm sure Pete Waterman would care too. I, I really do appreciate all the feedback and comments. It's it's super helpful. I think it'll make any policy that we come back that much stronger. So, so I thank go you. back to what I said before. Um, we need goals. I'm confused sitting here for the last hour and a half what the goals are for the town. Um, we're trying to change human behavior. That's hard on a good day. Um, and apparently it hasn't changed the behavior of most people in the town of Aspen where they've had a program for, I guess, 20 years. Um, so what are we really after? And I agree with fellow commissioners about capping outdoor energy use um, because to me that would make a difference in global warming um, by capping it. How do you measure that? I have no idea. Um, and how do you limit that? Um, and I agree with Commissioner Redeker that uh, assumptions are uh, that. There are assumptions and the, the daily usage, the annual usage that P 
people are paying for uh, it has to be metered in some way or fashion um, so uh, you have a lot of homework <laughs> Cameron okay. I, I have an entirely different approach Instead of a one-time Robin Hood fee where you take from the rich and give to the poor, and I can see the town dipping into this fund to fix their own snowmelt problem, um, why not hit people in their pocketbook and just as the town takes a cut of your cell phone service with all those fees that you see on your bill every month, go to a tiered system for gas use like the water company does. And if you hit certain levels, and that's going to be driven by, I mean, the outdoor use is 10 times the indoor use. That's we size the boiler 10 times bigger. Set those tiers up and hit them not one time, but hit them for using. Right. And drive the behavior that way because, in my experience, even the wealthy clients don't like seeing that bill every month. I mean, we've had people come in and say, I got $10,000 bill for my snowmelt system last, last month. What's not working? Um, why is the idle not kicking in? So I would suggest that you approach it on a usage basis and not on a one-time take from the rich and give to the poor fee, which I don't think should apply to replacement because those decisions were made a long time ago and the people didn't have the option at that point of going electric. Uh, you know, the town got rid of electric because they fried a couple dogs um, when the concrete spalled. But um, I, I, would, I would suggest that you look at it from an entirely different viewpoint. Metering. Well, metering and a tiered system. I think the tier, I like, I get it, but you're, uh, I'll let you figure it out. <laughs> we'll try our best. Uh, anything further from commissioners? I appreciate the outside of the box thinking. All right, thank you everybody for the input. Thank um, you so much. Thank you guys. I know you're doing a lot of, a lot of work on this and it's killing a lot of brain cells. <laughs> um, so that's the last item on our agenda today. Uh, do we have a motion to adjourn? I move we adjourn. Seconded. Motion by Commissioner Smith, second by Commissioner Hagedorn. All those in favor, please say aye. 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 Anybody opposed? Nobody's opposed. The motion to adjourn carries seven to zero. Thank you, everybody. Thank you.